This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spent half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains of Central Oregon. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life, even now as a media creator and a beer professional. This is how Mountain Sea Media was born. I realized how impactful stories are to our lives and business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends. They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com. It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to episode 36 of Good Beer Matters. How do we make beer with or without the globalization and the modern day economy? Living on an island, being 2,500 miles away from anywhere, we need to do what's best for the island. I just think Hawaii could be a good example of how it could work and how other countries and other places or islands can look at that as a role model. The Hawaiian Islands are known for many things. Surfing, floral printed shirts, the hula, and lately, beer. Many of us, myself included, dream about sitting on beautiful beaches with a tasty local brew in hand. However, there's a big problem. Hawaii is also known as the most remote island chain in the world. As such, most of the products sold and used on the islands have to be imported from other places. This drives the cost of goods way up and then causes another problem of where to put the waste stream after it's consumed. Many of the breweries on the islands have created sustainable and community-minded practices. Then there's Ola Brewing. They are taking local and sustainable approach to an entirely new level. With any luck, their experimental approach will become the new global standard. My name is Jeremy. I'm a certified Cicerone, BJCP judge, IBD certified brewer, and a beer writer. I believe the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. I believe there's a world of wisdom found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. This is Good Beer Matters. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 36 of Good Beer Matters with Brett Jacobson and Nyeha Breland of Ola Brewing. recently discovered um, that's doing some incredible things and uh, we're going to dive into that a little bit but uh, um, I'm going to have my next guest introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about your background in beer and and what we're drinking today. Cool. Brett, do you want to start? Yeah, uh, my name is Brett Jacobson. Um, I'm the CEO and founder of Ola Bruco. I've only been in the beer industry for about two years now. Uh, We'd launched our company 18 months ago, so I had about six months of experience in the beer industry prior to that. Um, But I have been in the craft beverage industry for about eight years now. And uh, rolling into the beer industry has just been a natural fit, and I'm really excited about what we're doing and bringing a lot more of the craft uh, fruit and beverage side of business into the beer industry. Interesting. Now, uh, tell us about... uh, I'm sorry, same question for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Naeha Breland, and um, I am the president of Ola Brew as well as the marketing director. Um, and same as Brett, um, I have about two years' experience in the beer industry. Um, however, we did start um, as a non-alcoholic beverage company. Um, do you want me to go into that a little bit? So... Our first company was um, Hawaiian Ola, which Brett also founded about nine years ago. And the whole um, mission of that was to support Hawaii's environment and economy through sourcing local ingredients, um, putting them in value-added packages, putting those on the shelf, um, and competing with imported beverages because, or imported value-added goods, um, because about 90% 95 percent of everything here in Hawaii is imported so if we can balance that out in any way that's really important for our local economy and for on a global scale the environmental impact so well before we dive into that can we um, I've got uh, kind of like a mental uh, to-do list for this episode yeah. one of the things I just want to cross off right off the bat is the name of this brewery um, now 
in Spanish, hola means wave, which is very appropriate. But what does hola mean in uh, Hawaiian? So hola in Hawaiian means um, life. It means prosperity, health. Um, and so, you know, maybe some people would say a, a beer day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> so, you know, in that, um, that would be the health aspect of it. But for us, what we're really truly um, diving into there is the health of our community and the health of our agricultural economy um, and our aina here in Hawaii. Aina in Hawaiian means mat, um, uh, land. And so um, if we're looking at um, how we can increase the health of our aina, that would be supporting our local farmers. So um, the whole basis of our brewery is utilizing as many local ingredients as we can um, in ciders, in beers, um, increasing the, the agricultural economy here. So that's what it's all about. Well, and before we got uh, started on this podcast, um, you and I were talking about um, kind of like that triangle, the three-legged stool, and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, years ago, uh, someone explained what the word Hawaii means, and it really has to do with the land and the, and the spirit and the, uh, and the people, and just kind of like bringing everything into a holistic, collaborative betterment for everyone's sake, that uh, mm-hmm. kind of like that, uh, that uh, the win-win-win situation, right. uh, to put it in a different term. Um, what is uh, Ola Brewing doing to kind of help that spirit of Hawaii? Yeah. So what you were talking about was um, what we call in Hawaii something, uh, it's, it's called lokahi. And um, that's basically the balance or the synergy between three um, aspects. Akua, which is um, a higher element or a higher spirit, um, the land, and our people or our community. Um, and so... Uh, Ola Brew is, is looking to incorporate all those things. Um, we kind of see that trip, uh, that uh, triangle as our triple bottom line business model, right? Um, where we're looking at the health of our economy, the health of the environment, and um, the health of the land, right? And so bringing that all, all back, um, the spirit of Hawaii is, is very um, much integrated into everything that we're doing here in Hawaii, or it, that we're doing here at Ola Brew. Um, and yeah, we're just really, really focused on um, giving reverence to the Aina, which is really important in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and I think a couple days ago, Brett, when we were talking, um, we, we talked about that this is the mission of, of Ola Brewing is to uh, support and, and generally improve the uh, agriculture of Hawaii. But you started talking about um, a vision of, of why you're doing it here in Hawaii, and and if it goes well, what your plans are to do it beyond. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I could talk about that briefly. Otherwise, that would turn into a long conversation. <laughs> but um, Yeah, originally, when I first moved to Hawaii 10 years ago, uh, I wanted to grow my own food, grow food for the community, have something sustainable. And upon moving here and um, buying land and living here, I realized that all the food's imported. And that got me thinking that if Hawaii can't grow its own food for itself when everything's imported, then why would any other place in the world be growing their own food if it's a lot easier to travel to them, such as by rail or by road to you know, receive avocados in California year-round from Mexico or from other parts of the world or to receive you know, pineapples from the Philippines or from Costa Rica. Uh, for everyone to live off that model, that globalization model, wasn't really something that I saw as sustainable. And I, believe most of the world kind of sees that also as not sustainable. And so moving to Hawaii was an opportunity for me to try to build a model that utilizes all local agricultural goods when they're in season and not just buy them when they're out of season or buy them whenever you want them. And for Hawaii to make that work would be an easier place than any other part of the world because the cost of food is about 20% more expensive here in Hawaii. Um, again, 95% of it's imported. It's all shipped halfway across the world. It's 19 to 20 cents per pound to import stuff, no matter what it is. So your dollar lime is a dollar 20 here. Um, so seeing that and seeing that Hawaii had the best chances of making a sustainable ag, local ag model work because it has that handicap to the imported goods, um, I just saw it as an opportunity to try to make it work here. And if it wasn't, if it doesn't work here. 
I see there's going to be a much bigger problem that the world as a, as a whole is going to have to solve. And um, I just think Hawaii could be a good example of how it could work and how other countries and other places or islands can look at that as a role model. It, it seems to me this is an opportunity to kind of uh, dive in uh, slightly into the weeds on this one, just because um, reading the reports of uh, climate change and 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 all the environmental scientists are now warning that we are on the brink of of um, maybe not catastrophic, but uh, but um, but definitely uh, world-changing events. Um, and we may be able to adapt to whatever's coming down the pike on this one. Uh, we may not. Um, but I think there are a lot of people out there that don't consider this. They don't think about it. All they do is just go to the grocery store and, oh, the, the, the chicken is a little expensive today. And, oh, good, we have, uh, we, have, we have bananas every day. Just go get some more bananas or we can get strawberries year-round. Um, all thanks to the, the modern invention of uh, rail and everything else you just described. But with with these uh, weather, and I'm, I'm going to add one more thing to this. I read an article this morning, or at least just skimmed it, but they talked about how um, wealthy people are predisposed to uh, being able to deal with whatever's coming down uh, climate-wise in the next several decades because they can afford to pay uh, $10 for uh, two bananas. Um, and uh, and move where the weather is better. Um, you know, get that oceanfront uh, property in Arizona, so to, like for example. Um, uh, but uh, but what you're talking about, if I understand correctly, is is kind of like a. It sounds like you're conducting a little experiment to say, okay, here we are in the most remote place in the country, if not the world. And we're going to see if we can make this happen. And if it does, then we can show people around the world that here's how we can make this happen. Is that yeah, 100%, fair? Yeah, 100%. That's completely accurate. Um, Hawaii is like a little biodome. You know, it's isolated. It's 2,500 miles away from the nearest uh, metropolitan area, area, which would be San Francisco. And, uh, yeah, if we can't make it work here, then... It's going to be difficult for other parts of the world to make it work. So, and we have a history here of actually um, supporting a huge population hundreds and hundreds of years ago. You know what I mean? As do many places in the world, all places in the world, really. You know, with with their um, ancient civilizations and and all of their agricultural practices that they used a long time ago. So, if we can bring that back here. Um, and, and uh, a lot of the um, discussion, and, and it just seems like a, a really good marketing ploy, is everyone, everyone, even on the mainland, is like, oh, shop local, shop local, go to your local brewery, and, you know, and don't give more money to that gigantic global brewery that's dominating the world. You know, but it just seems more of like a quaint idea. Mm-hmm. But there's actually some value about shopping local, about mm-hmm. doing things locally, mm-hmm. because if we get too dependent on on goods that come from uh, another hemisphere, another continent, and then suddenly, when those are gone, not if, but when those are gone, then we're gonna say, well, shit, what do we do now? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of people are living this false life of security, thinking they have all these resources, but uh, the externalities and the cost that that's having on the environment by having their food shipped to them from all over the world, that cost is gonna start to be relevant to people's um, actual dollars out of their wallet because as it becomes more difficult to grow these fruits year-round and you know the amount of agriculture sustainably grown with like viable soil like that's all depleting so as that depletes and people start to have to spend more on these resources that's when they're going to start to really feel the the burden of what it really costs to live the way that they're currently living yeah Uh, i remember last october there was just a flurry of articles that came out that said in I don't know, 10, 20 years, we're going to start paying $20 a six-pack of beer instead of $20 a case of beer because of, of how climate change is going to affect our barley and hop production, et cetera, et cetera, and so on and so on. Um, and, and uh, you know, beer has been around for millennia. Um, there's arguments that beer has been around before wine. So um, I, I joke with people, but this is absolutely true, is that uh, beer is something that no one needs but everyone wants. And, and, and proof in the pudding is we've been making and drinking beer since um, we decided to stop being cavemen. And, um, and so that's not likely to change. 
we're going to continue making and drinking beer, but I'd rather not pay $20 a six pack. Um, but that's kind of the trajectory that we're headed. And so what you guys are doing is proving that we can save the earth with a beer in our hand. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And that, uh, you know, that kind of goes into, you know, where do we get our grain? Where are we getting our hops? And, you know, as, as the population grows and the amount of quality soil depletes around the, you know, the world, uh, is beer and grain going to compete with food supply? And that's when the price is going to start increasing. And, mm-hmm. you know, something we're taking into consideration here in Hawaii is we have 11 of the 13 microclimates. We can grow all these things. We can grow barley. We can grow wheat. We can grow hops. We can grow all this. And so we're trying to figure out a way to make it so that we have not an estate beer as far as our brewery brand, but a state in the sense that it's grown on this island. Mm-hmm. And so if we can grow all the ingredients for our beer, also take deep sea ocean water, desalinate it to use that as our water supply, we can now make beer with or without imports and with or without fresh water because we're making it. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's going to require um, alterations and processes. We're not going to be able to have a malting facility, so we'll probably have to do a, a wet mash or you know, take fresh barley, germinate it, and then go right into a brew. Um, which is something that most breweries would look at as I'm not even going to experiment with that because they're not growing their own grain within, you know, 20, 30 minutes of where they're actually brewing. Um, but that's kind of where we're headed is how do we grow, how do we make beer with or without the globalization and the modern day economy? And you're innovating by necessity yeah. and, and, and may ultimately lead a charge and show those other big time brewers in the mainland that, hey, have you tried this? No, yeah. you should. Well, and as you, as you said, everyone, everyone wants beer, even whether they want, whether they need it or not, everyone wants beer. And so we look at like, so if there's no barley and there's no um, hops, how do we be the only brewery with those? And that's growing it and working with our farmers directly. Because bottom line, we are going to drink. Yeah. I mean, shoot, even even birds and monkeys and other animals find that rotten fruit that's dropped on the floor for a reason. It's yeah. high caloric value, and hey, this feels good. You know, yeah. uh, that, that's just a fact of life. So let's yeah. just brace it and go with it. Mm-hmm. And Brett would like to call that estate beer, beer sovereignty. Coins exactly. the term beer sovereignty. Beer sovereignty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, kind of. So we kind of talked about. Um, how you are working with local farmers. Um, we didn't actually, we didn't dive into it uh, uh, on air, but you, you talked about how, um, well, actually a great story you, when you took me through the brewery that, mm-hmm. um, you know, like for example, you uh, will take the tops of the pineapples yep. and you'll give those to the farmers for free, not charge mm-hmm. them the four to five bucks per start, mm-hmm. um, but you're giving them to the farmers for free to give them an opportunity to increase their farms, increase their yield, and then also, meanwhile, tell them that, okay, and after this free start grows into a bunch of pineapples, then we're going to buy them from you and create this this uh, circle of collaboration. Mm-hmm. Have I missed anything on that? Um, no. Well, well, yes, all that. And um, we are also working um, with small farms. So... Um, you know, the, the farmers that we're working with maybe have two acres, three acres. So all the fruit that we can get, um, like for instance, say we're trying to source 10,000 pounds of dragon fruit this year, maybe 15,000 pounds if we're lucky. Um, we're gonna be getting that from four different farms, right? Five different farms maybe. So um, we're sourcing just a little bit or several thousand pounds from each of these farms to where it's not just going to one huge farm, right? Um, it's bringing up the agricultural economy for um, all these people. And then um, at one point, hopefully, um, we can you know, start to require that these farms that are larger actually are using responsible farming practices, right? When we need to start um, sourcing from these larger farms, we require that they're, they're using responsible farming practices that are not depleting the soil, that are not putting pesticides on the fruit, that are not you know, herbicides. So um, things like that are, are really, really important to us as well. Um, and then all of that all this fruit that we're harvesting, um, we have a lot of waste as well. So yeah, this cycle- That's where I was gonna go yeah, next. So this, so this cycle um, begins where we get all this fruit into um, our facility, we're juicing it, as well as the spent grain. So we're getting all this grain into our facility. Um, 
and this spent grain is going back out to the farms. Um, our hops waste is going back out to the farms. Our yeast waste is going back out to the farms. So it's this nice cycle. Um, the spent grain is being is being fed to you know pigs and, and cattle on island. Um, and then because we've just started serving food in our in our brewery, um, we're actually able to source um, that livestock that we've been feeding our spent grain into our restaurant. So um, that's like the circle of life that we're looking at, that cycle um, that can make things uh, more sustainable on this island. Yeah, and on that point, uh, just an example of how dedicated we are to the sustainable model of using our waste stream to cultivate and to grow more agriculture, whether it's livestock or produce, mm -hmm. um, is when we were ready to open the restaurant component of our tap room, uh, we waited until the main farmer that's been, they sell us dragon fruit, pineapple, um, but they also been growing pigs for us. We waited until their first pigs were ready to slaughter to open up our restaurant to have pork on our menu. So that, the since, since day one of serving food, every single pork, piece of pork in our restaurant, whether it be in a lao lao, a taco, a, on a pizza, every single piece of that, the pig itself is fed at least 80% of its diet from our waste stream. Mm -hmm. So that's like how dedicated we are to that mm -hmm. component we of our business. We pushed back our restaurant probably about three weeks just for that, you yeah. know, because that was really important. Well, we, yeah, we don't want to open with a you know mm -hmm. lower quality product and then three weeks later be like, oh, now the pork's a little better. Like, yeah. no, we want to start day one and then also have that story, so. Yeah, and, and so I'm aware there, there's at least one, I think I've heard of a couple companies that are actually taking the spent grain and then turning that into like a high fiber health drink after that. Uh, being a beverage company, have you guys looked into that at all? Uh, yeah, we've looked into it. Um, it's, I think part of it has to do with uh, market demand and being in Hawaii, we really just try to make products for Hawaii. Um, long-term vision of making a bunch of products and exporting them to the rest of the world is not really in our in our foresight um, so if you look at a that specific product and what's the market cap in the state of hawaii it's pretty low um, it's a, probably a big market nationally or even internationally but the knowing that the market cap is kind of small compared to other products we could make it's not not anything that we plan on doing in the near future so so obviously your, your goal is not world domination like like many breweries or country domination yeah, yeah. or even regional domination but it seems like your your point is to show that we can take care of our own and and prove a point that it can be done yeah 100 percent. i think uh, everyone's obviously knows it now with go local drink local eat local and what we have seen over the last eight years of being in the craft beverage industry is that um, it's better for a craft beverage company or food processor to make a bunch of products out of local ingredients and make it locally for their local economy. And I think 10 years from now, that's going to be the norm. So a lot of these giant companies, national companies, even regional, depending on how big their region is, are backtracking, backpedaling, trying to go back to their, you know, their backyard. And uh, I think that's inevitable. So yeah, we're really just focusing on Hawaii. And if people would, you know, want our product outside of Hawaii, we can figure out some type of memberships or some way of getting them some product, but we do not plan on selling our product outside of the state of Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Now, if, if sustainability in, um, is obviously a paramount aspect of this, of this brewery, I mean, I mean, good beer, good food, and take care of the people, take care, you know, it's like the only aspect you don't really, like, like we talked about just a minute ago, is you, you, we don't really address the, the, the spirit aspect, but maybe that's just inherent. Um, but uh, when you guys are, sorry, I'm going to double check something. Um, oh, that's right. We were talking about uh, sustainability as far as, so that's how you're dealing with the ingredients and the processing of ingredients and the effluent. Um, what other aspects uh, of of the brewery are sustainable yeah um, again out of necessity not necessarily out of desire but uh, being on an island not only is our food imported but also our co2 gas also all of our ingredients you know all of our grain and our hops and that's why we're working on the ag side of that but um, on kind of a utility standpoint um, co2 cost is extremely expensive here in hawaii we're talking a dollar fifty a pound for co2 where most of breweries um, that I guess we're competing with, but most of breweries in the U.S. are 
closer to 30, 20, 20 to 40 cents uh, per pound for CO2. Wow. So that cost is significant. We're talking 10 to 20% of our cogs on a, any given beer. Um, so with that taken into, uh, into effect, what we've done is got a CO2 recovery system. Um, that supplements about 60% of our CO2 use in the brewery. Um, and to make it so we're 100% uh, self-sufficient with our with our gas stream is we got a nitrogen generator so we now use nitrogen to purge tanks push beer around um, on our canning line all our pneumatics so everywhere we possibly can use nitrogen gas we use that now and we reserve the recovered co2 purely for forced carbonation and so it's made us carbon neutral when in, in regards to um, our gas stream so it's it just crazy to think of compressed co2 on a tanker being shipped 2,500 miles across the ocean just so we can force carbonate some beer. It's just weird. So we definitely invested a couple hundred thousand dollars, uh, which was a big investment for you know our first 12 months of being open. Um, but we got the capital for that, and we invested into a CO2 recovery system and the nitrogen. So, mm-hmm. and like Brett was saying, that is completely necessary. Like living on an island, being 2,500 miles away from anywhere, we need to do what's best for the island, you know what I mean, and, and, and Hawaii in general. And so if if we need to make this um, investment for um, in the long run, what in the long run will benefit us and, you know, Hawaii in general, that's that's what we got to do, and globally, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, it, it seems like you, you really didn't have much of a choice. You, you could have paid that ridiculous amount of money mm-hmm. to see that big old yeah. Tank yeah. of CO2. Well, com- yeah, well, in all honesty, we, we launched our first uh, package, like flagship IPA product. And upon launching it, I decided I needed more hops, which is classic for IPA. But I decided I needed more hops. And the only way to do that was to lower the cost somewhere else. And so I said, I can put more hops in it if I can save on the CO2 cost. And, you know, so a lot of people love our IPA. They think it's really great. Um, it's a good price point, And a lot of that has to do with cutting cogs elsewhere to put more quality ingredients into the product. Um, and so that kind of speaks to, uh, and before we get into the whole community aspect, I want, what, what are some of the other challenges that you've had? Just, I mean, you are literally on an island. Um, uh, and so I see pallets of uh, Vireman malt out there. I mean, uh, are you getting any malt from the island at all at this point? No. So no, as far as we know, no one's commercially producing malt here in Hawaii. Barley, uh, cattle farmers are growing it, um, but there's no malting facility. You know, the cost to start up a malting facility, we've done the business plan for it. You know, it's five to $10 million and just really doesn't pay off. Um, so, so yeah, it's, you know, that's a challenge is importing all of our grain and then same with hops. And so we're working on hops right now. Um, we're working with a local school actually to uh, build out a um, greenhouse that has light deprivation um, that we can control the flowering cycles and grow our own hops um, for the brewery. Um, but again, the question was challenges. Uh, challenges being on an island is uh, qualified employees. You know, the beer industry is new in Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii's usually five to ten years behind on a lot of innovative things and industries as far as being a part of the United States. And so where Colorado or California was or Oregon or Washington, um, where these states were in the beer industry, Hawaii's about ten years behind. Um, so taking that into consideration, we only have, I think, 15 breweries right now in the state. Three, three years ago, there was eight. And uh, that means there's not a lot of bandwidth as far as people that have experience brewing beer that are already a resident of Hawaii. So the biggest challenge is, yeah, we can find qualified people all over the world, but they've probably never been to Hawaii. And do we really want to take that risk to hire someone, fly them out to Hawaii, and now their whole livelihood, they're on an island, on a rock, you know, in the middle of the Pacific, mm-hmm. and they're put, they put so much emphasis on the brewery fulfilling all their, like, life needs instead of it just being a job. And so that's, it's been good and bad. It's been a challenge to find the people, but it's been good because when we do find the people, they're loyal, they're diehard, and there's no such thing as clocking in or out. They're here every day because they're here in the middle of the Pacific to do one thing, and that's to make great beer with older brew. Mm-hmm. So. And our, our head brewer right now is... Um, born and raised in Puna, which is on the south side of, of Hawaii Island. 
And um, when he started with us, he was actually just started as a part-time employee working on our um, electrical, on an electrical project um, uh, for the brewery. So, um, you know, once we saw his dedication and his drive, um, Brett kind of, you know, took him under his wing and started teaching him everything he knows, and um, now he's our head brewer. So um, that's kind of the way that we've had to uh, adjust and with with the pool of um, people that we have on this island, and it kind of allows us to live outside the box a little bit, you know, um, and and not necessarily um, have the restrictions of um, people who have been doing certain things the same way for years in, in the brewing industry, right? So, um, yeah. Well, and, and a huge thing that's near and dear to my heart and part of the reason why I have a podcast like this is just the beer education. Um, uh, whether it's uh, someone trying to become a, a BJCP beer judge, a, a Cicerone of whatever level, um, or even just flat out someone who's going to work in a brewery and needs to know what is the difference between an ale and a lager. Um, do you guys have any uh, programs or education that you uh, that, that you do with new employees? So, yeah. Especially since you yeah. have uh, people that just don't know beer exactly. as well. Yeah, we definitely. That's been a huge importance to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that we put into place is every single employee, whether they're a bartender, work in our kitchen, do, they're a draft tech, doesn't matter where you work in our company, every single person has to be at least Cicerone level one certified. And so we, are, we give a little leeway and we give people a couple months, but if they don't get certified in the first couple months they're here, they, they're not gonna last. And we make that very uh, obvious from the get go. Um, another thing is any manager in our company has to be either level two uh, Cicerone certified or a BJCP judge. And so we're in the process of, you know, not everyone's there yet, but we're in that process. And um, yeah, it's important to us because we see also how young and fragile the craft beer industry is here in Hawaii and that it's our job to actually educate more people and to expand the craft beer industry as it is any independent craft brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're taking that responsibility and putting it on our shoulders. And I make that obvious at all of our monthly meetings for the <laughs> whole team that I, I usually say get certified by next month's meeting or you're not going to work here. <laughs> so it's, it works. It's not necessarily the best approach, but it's, you know, it, people get that it's that important. You know? so. Well, and it's really important because even though we have a very young um, brewing industry here in Hawaii or craft brewing industry here in Hawaii, um, there are people from all over the world that are coming from um, very developed and mature industries in the craft, you know, craft beer industry, like, you know, yourself. Mm -hmm. And so um, being able to hold a conversation and being able to maybe even educate um, people who are coming from um, a beer background is really, really important for us. Um, Just because we're out in the middle of nowhere doesn't mean that that we don't know what we're doing, right? So um, it's, that's really important. and then just on a, on a local level, um, I like to see us as this nice, you know, bridge between um, what everybody's used to, the, the Heinekens and Steinlagers and, um, you know, just the, the nice poundable, poundable beers to um, a really, really nice craft lager or Munich Dunkel or the ciders that we have, you know, before, before we came, um, everybody here on Hawaii Island probably had only ever tasted an angry orchard you know and so um or yeah or pretty, an ace ace pineapple pretty good out here in hawaii people like them a lot <laughs> yeah so now using all these local fruits they know the farmers that that these fruits are coming from um and it's it's just a, a whole different level so being that being that bridge is really important to us as well well, and I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this, but you uh, you offered this information up so freely with our conversation the other day about uh, you guys have plans of doing um, weekly or monthly uh, like beer dinners and doing you know doing the whole pairing thing, at which. Granted, if someone's going to come to the big island from the mainland, typically they're looking to buy a Hawaiian shirt, looking to go to the beach, maybe see a few sea turtles and um, get some shave ice and and then eventually go home. But, uh, you know, and I'm a huge uh, convert in this uh, school of thought, but, but you give them a authentic experience with the beer paired with 
Hawaiian food made locally from farmers, maybe the farmers even there. I've hosted a dinner where the farmers are right there. It's like, yeah, here's the guy that made the barley for this beer, yeah. and here are the farmers that grew the vegetables for this beer. And it was, and and you just see the looks on people's faces. I think, oh my God, this food is amazing. And this is where my food came from. This is where my beer came from. It's a completely different experience. And can you guys talk about what your plans are in that regard? Yeah. Um, it's honestly just something new that isn't here in Kona. And um, we really care about the agricultural or the agricultural aspect of, of things again. Um, and we really care about educating our community. And then like you're saying, um, somebody that's coming in from the mainland that maybe doesn't want to go to a luau or something, they can have a different type of authentic experience, you know? Um, and so what we're planning on doing is every Sunday doing um, a supper club where um, we'll probably have a five-course meal and it will be paired with either beers one week or ciders the next week, you know? Um, and really get into um, the flavors and the, the, um, the sensory analysis and, you know, all this stuff. Um, that isn't typically what you would do when when thinking you're just going to go have a beer, you know. Um, but really pairing it um, with delicious food with the ingredients that are here on island. So yeah, so a little bit more context to the, the I guess the, you're calling it what the separate club. Yeah, it's a separate <laughs> yeah. Club. So the the separate club is you know we will have on site during the separate club our executive chef. Uh, Justin Peters, mm -hmm. he's an amazing chef. Uh, we just picked him up from Halua, yeah, Halua Koa Cafe up in Halua Loa. Um, he's been working there for about six years. Um, but he just joined us. He's great. He utilizes a lot of local ingredients. He is literally, like just yesterday, for example, he's like, what are you guys juicing over there? He goes and takes some of the fruit from what we're juicing for a cider or for a beer. He's taking that and making something out of it. And so since our kitchen is in the brewery, and in where we're processing all of our fruit because we don't buy concentrates or juices like that. It's all real fruit. Um, it allows our executive chef to actually use those ingredients, see how he can adapt them into a menu item that will pair well with not necessarily the same fruit, beer, or cider, but would pair with something else that we offer on our menu. Um, but the, the real concept is every beer or cider and menu item at our pairings will have local ingredients in it. And not just one little splash, not just a topping of like some local, like you know, baby greens or something. It will actually have a significant uh, portion of it, up to hopefully 100% on some items, but our minimum is kind of about 50% of the raw weight of that uh, that beer or that cider or that um, menu item will come from the uh, island of Hawaii. And, and frankly, <clears throat> I haven't been to a ton of places in the world, but I've traveled a little bit and. My personal take is, you know, uh, we're staying in a, in a place up, up about 30 minutes up north that's a little bit resorty. It's next to a big Hilton that is just like Disneyland. Yeah. Um, and, and later on this week, we're going to go to a luau at some other resort because we've got kids with us. And, I mean, granted, they're fun, but they are Disney productions of, of what used to be an authentic thing. My personal preference would be to go, to go find... Where, where do the locals go? Where do the locals eat? Where do the locals go to spearfish? I want to go hang out with them and kind of really see what the culture really is. And it's kind of hard to do that um, when you're staying just on the, the, the tourist track. Mm -hmm. But what you guys are offering is, is kind of like in a, something that's accessible to the tourists, but it appears to be very, very authentic. Mm -hmm. Was that, is that the goal? Yeah, I mean, we're really not we're really not gearing it towards tourists um that will be kind of, you know naturally that's going to happen because people want that experience but we're really gearing it towards the the local um residents here in hawaii but i, I have a feeling the word's going to get out oh yeah it's going to get out uh that's why it's limited there'll only be 30 i think 30 tickets per week mm -hmm. um we're anticipating that it will be sold out months in advance um but again, you, you mentioned earlier about educating um, people on craft beer. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is our opportunity to educate people on craft beer, mm -hmm. residents here in Hawaii, that there's nothing like this here. Yeah. And so I think, I think it's gonna be 80% um, local residents that are participating in these, and it might be overflow, and eventually we might have to do it twice a week. But um, mm -hmm. do you have anything to well, say about that? And, you know, like Brett said earlier, three years ago, there were only eight 
breweries here in Hawaii. Now there's 20. So we see that this that this craft beer market is growing here in Hawaii, but doing something like this, doing a dinner um, every Sunday that really talks, that really dives deep into um, what all these beers are, the history of the beers, um, then the food, how you compare it well with the food, um, all that um, is something that now our residents of Hawaii are starting to get eager to, you know, learn more about, and so we want to give that to them. And 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 so obviously I'm a bit of a beer nerd, um, and I prefer the term beer scholar. Thank you very much. But the <laughs> but the um, but the aspect about that is it's not learning about beer for beer's sake. It's not saying, well, this is the difference between a lager and this is a Kolsch, and you really need to memorize this because there will be a test. I think the purpose of it, uh, from my experience, has just been um, you know understanding that there's a there's a deeper, larger story there that circumnavigates the globe and kind of turns us into one big one big community when you think about it um, but the other story that I get out of it too is instead of in we can take a wonderful page out of the wine world where we can say okay we're drinking this this ma lager now which is actually a Kolsch um, we can think what are the flavors that come out of it how do we use those as a tool to create an experience that will facilitate a better conversation which will then turn into a, a deeper relationship because of the shared experience because of these flavors that have blended really well together and ultimately the grand scheme it isn't about dinner it isn't about the beer it's about uh, transcending into something a little bit more meaningful and and I think all agreed at this table that these just happen to be a wonderful tool to bring that change about Is yeah that fair yeah definitely Absolutely. yeah uh, so on that note, let's let's dive off that uh, diving board into the into the pool of the uh, community involvement. Uh, what you guys have done something else that's pretty unique, as far as um, how you funded this uh, the brewery to begin with. Can you talk about your community involvement? Yeah. So, you know, our initial investment we got into this company was from uh, a single investor that believed in our mission and what we are trying to create or what we wanted to create as far as a local craft uh, beverage facility that also had its own means of production here in Hawaii. Um, so that was our first initial investment. And then after that, we did a crowdfunding on WeFunder. Um, we actually did three crowdfundings on WeFunder over the years and then got a bunch of private investors also. Um, but I think in total, we have about 750, is that right? It's 850, actually. Eight, 850 <laughs> investors in our yeah. company right now. Um, and the community's stoked about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's every single day, probably what, five to 15 investors are in our tap room. Mm -hmm. So there's like the fundraising side of it, which is great. There's a community aspect, which is great. And then there's a marketing aspect and all these 850 investors and two thirds or three quarters of them live in Hawaii. Uh, they are all brand advocates. Mm -hmm. You can't buy ambassadors like that. You mm -hmm. can't give free cases to people. They, whether they invested $100 or $100,000, mm -hmm. they are all just as loyal. And we, we know that because a lot of our $100 investors uh, expect to be treated like a million dollar investor, which yeah. is fine. You know, that you know, comes with the territory. Um, <laughs> Don't you know who I am? <laughs> I gave you $20. Uh, yeah, no, well, $100 minimum investment. So some, I gave you $120. <laughs> which is fine, you know, and, and sometimes $100 to one investor is equi equivalent to a million dollars to another. So it's not so much the monetary value as much as the level of commitment that they each made to be part of the company. Mm -hmm. And uh, it goes a long way. And so I'd say the the marketing component and the branding component of it it's is it's huge. It's you can't buy that anywhere else. The only way to buy it is to give up equity. Mm -hmm. And the goal with a lot of businesses, especially online, is to find those thousand true fans. And yeah. <laughs> and, and and you had eight hundred and fifty of them uh, offer you money so that they could be part of the uh, almost a thousand true fans. And that's yeah. just an exceptional thing. Bringing it back to hey, we're, we're a community, we're local, yeah. and and not only do we deal with local farmers and local produce, but now we've got a bunch of locals that are part of the business, yep. including employees. Oh yeah, uh, so we're in community and employee owned. Every single one of our employees has equity in our company. Um, we've given out equity until about a month ago. So now we're 18 months old, we kind of stopped the equity um, <laughs> for now. Uh, then we're gonna start building an employee stock option plan. But all equity that um, employees have gotten are all equal to common, sh uh, common stock, like founder shares. And so 
whether you're a bartender or you're juicing pineapple or you or work in the kitchen or you're scrubbing tanks or brewing beer, whatever you're doing, sales rep on another island, marketing rep, everyone has equity. So um, part of our monthly team meetings is not just uh, you know hype everyone up and get everyone excited on the new things, but part of it is actual actually like me doing an investment update. Mm-hmm. And so which is an interesting thing where I'm you know trying to like run this company, I'm the CEO, so I'm trying to build everyone up mm-hmm. and be this you know this role model and then I'm also pitching them on their investment that they're making mm-hmm. and how uh, you know how much the stock's gone up based on like different valuation multipliers and so it's, it's definitely interesting um, but everyone appreciates it and it's a big education um, curve that's happening there where a lot of people have never invested in a company and a lot of our employees don't really know what's going on and so I have to definitely educate everyone you know hold some hands they let them know that they're really getting a sweet deal because yeah. <laughs> yeah. people are buying equity at a certain yeah. price that they're getting as a bonus for working for the company. And I would imagine just like the average bartender making an average bartender wage plus tips. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was bartending, I, you know, I, I was horrible at finances. I, I think I, I worked for Starbucks in 1994 and was offered the stock options and because I didn't understand them I thought nah that's all right and that was 94 (laughs) yeah right you know please someone slap my hand but um but to have someone you know take you along and say no trust me this is way better than tips this is way better than what you're making an hour this this is this is just way better and I'll show you why that thank you for doing that for for people because that's your education everyone needs yeah I, I always put the big bold print on any of the document saying like I'm not your legal advisor but <laughs> I'll, I will tell you you should probably do this and if you don't believe me you have Google so go look it up here's some key points you should look up and yeah. you know don't trust me trust the World Wide Web yeah talk to Siri she never lies yeah <laughs> and there's you know there's educating our employees but then there's also um, educating this huge pool of investors you know like probably I'd say 80% of our investors have never invested in anything either, right? Um, so going through WeFunder, going through that platform, that allowed quote-unquote unsophisticated investors or unaccredited investors to invest in companies they believed in, right, based on the Jobs Act. And so, um, you know, being able to give people the opportunity of investing into a company that we know is going to be successful, you know, it's going to be a really good um, first experience for them to invest and then they get to then, you know, start exploring other investments and, you know, um, kind of build on that education there. So, pretty awesome. No, it's amazing. Um, so, with all this, uh, what are your plans for the future? We, we kind of uh, danced around that subject a little bit, but... Um, in what regards? Global domination? No. No, I wouldn't... So what, if your mission is to promote uh, local Hawaiian agriculture, how will you know when you arrived? How will you know when you're uh, successful? And you know, uh, we talked we talked about the definition of success. It's different for everyone. Yeah. How will you know when you've achieved your goal? Okay, so I can answer that question. We will achieve our goal when we have enough buying, like purchasing power for agricultural goods in Hawaii to where when we see um, a large agricultural company such as DuPont or Dow or Monsanto who's leasing the majority of the agricultural land in Hawaii, when we get to the point where we have the purchasing power to, to lease that land instead of them, that's when we've reached our goal. You know, and when there's thousands of acres of uh, land being rented out to, you know, testing out you know, new chemicals to see what will work for an herbicide or pesticide, um, and that's happening all over Hawaii. Um, the regulations are very limited here for all those chemical companies. And so when, when I originally started the beverage company eight years ago, the sole mission was to compete with those companies from a business perspective. And so we will be successful once we can be like, hey, Kamehameha Schools, um, can you lease us that 1,500 acres instead of them? Because the community's protesting them. Kamehameha Schools doesn't have another option because no one else is that they trust is viable enough to lease that land for a 20, 30 year lease. Mm-hmm. So once we are at that position where we can take over that lease and then turn it into a, you know responsibly grown um, agriculture or just let it sit fallow, like that's how we know we've made it and we're actually doing what we intended to do, which was preserve the Aina. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you take that and scale it up nationally or globally. 
and when responsible companies are now in control of land that's currently being poisoned, then we're actually making one step closer towards a sustainable earth. So uh, would you, uh, sorry, I assume you would hope to see this model, uh, when this comes to fruition, to see this model implemented around the world as well? Yeah, I mean, that would be, that would be the long-term big goal, yeah. So uh, have you scheduled your TED talk yet? No. <laughs> once, we, once we take over our first thousand acre lease from one of the big uh, chemical companies that do agriculture, once we do that, then that's when a TED Talk's necessary. Yeah, after you pants Monsanto in front yeah. of the world, then you can... Yeah, as long, long as I, nothing happens to me personally in the meantime. <laughs> yes, yes uh, yeah, as long as Monsanto doesn't put a hit out, you know, there's, yeah, there's well, always that. Yeah, uh, well, don't travel internationally. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in Hawaii. Why would you leave? Yeah, exactly. Um, do you have any advice for other entrepreneurs who who would hear this and say, "Damn, that's a that's a great idea. I wish I could do something like that." What would you say to that, that uh, person? I would say, you know, a lot of people say, "Start in your backyard." It's you know, it's picking up the plastic at the beach in your you know your backyard versus someone else's, and um, start small, but start making steps every single day towards a bigger goal, and just have your mindset and your vision set on clearly what you would do if you were guaranteed success and what you would do if you're guaranteed to have all the money you need to accomplish it mm -hmm. and just start making strides every single day towards that and then just to add to that work together you know you can't you can try to do it by yourself but doing it with other people is going to be better so um you know find like-minded people and mm -hmm. just go for it yeah, uh, yeah. To expand on that, definitely don't want to be successful by yourself, because mm -hmm. then what's the point? Mm -hmm. You know, because then you're just isolating yourself like from your community. So mm -hmm. it's better to definitely involve the community in everything you want to do. Find like-minded people, share the same values or very similar values, mm -hmm. and then build a force that's way stronger than one and mm -hmm. strengthen numbers. Man, yeah. <laughs> just gotta yeah. go for it. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, I can speak at least to my my wife and or at least our marriage. We have mm -hmm. uh, definitely we have a different set of skills that when you put them together, they work well. But mm -hmm. um, without her set of skills, I would. I don't know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's I, nice. And that's, uh, you know, our whole community support and all of our employees, that's how it's been for all of us. And Naya has been a huge part of Ola Brew and Hawaiian Ola. Um, I, I started it by myself eight years ago, but without her, it definitely would have burnt out and spun out a long time ago. <laughs> so I, I can contest to that as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we, uh, we'll make sure we give you high fives when we're all done. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so this is kind of like my uh, wind down series of questions, and I've got mm -hmm. both of you here, so you can both answer them individually. But if you could be the beer king and queen, um, uh, or the, the, beer, the king and queen of the beer world for a day, what would you change? Ladies first. She passes <laughs> to her esteemed colleague. <laughs> uh, well, I guess it's uh, it depends. Would the would the change last indefinitely, or would it just last for a day? Uh, I've I've never had anyone ask me that question before. You you are a person who looks at data, aren't you? Um, it, it, let's say it would last forever because you're the king, so you can yeah. make the decree. Hmm. Jeez, that's a tough one. Um, I would have to say that all beers were made out of organically produced products. And that was a new standard. So which, who, you know, who's growing barley? Who's growing mm -hmm. hops? Well, no one's going to buy it unless it's organic now. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be like USDA organic. Maybe I should rephrase that, that all beers would have a certification that proved that there's, there was no pesticides, herbicides, or fungicides used in the manufacturing of the raw ingredients. And if they're biodynamic, they get a seat at the table? Yeah. Excellent. Mm -hmm. how, how about you? I would say um, that um, maybe each beer or each brewery um, be tied to a cause, and that, you know, um, Part of the proceeds, not just proceeds, but but part of like the the um, production of that beer um, t 
ties in with a community element or ties in with a community organization. Um, so again, building community, bringing people together, and then working together and helping each other. So the uh, uh, fat wallet project would not work. Mm -hmm. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, if you guys had the opportunity to choose your very last meal and your very last beer, what would they be? Come on, Naya. Very last meal and very last... <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> um, my very last meal would be... Um, in Hawaii, we, we have something called lao lao. Um, and it is... Traditionally, it is um, a piece of pork, a piece of fish, and a piece of fat that is wrapped up into um, luau leaf or taro leaf, um, and then wrapped in the tea leaf and steamed. It's delicious. Um, I'm vegan, though, so I can't eat the pork. So I would make a... Um, <laughs> but it's last day. It's last day, so you need the pork, right? <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd make a vegan one. Um, well, vegan pork on your last day. Yeah, the, the Beyond Meat pork. Um, just kidding. Um, and then what beer? Um, I would have to go with, um, and I'm not just saying it because it's ours, I'd have to go with our Rambutan cider. <laughs> it's not a beer. I accept it. Um, well, as she was describing that, I was thinking of, uh, I haven't traveled to many breweries around the world, but one that's definitely close to heart where I grew up in Santa Rosa, California, mm. is I would definitely go with a supplication from Russian River Brewery oh, yeah. with the oh, pliny yeah. bites. <laughs> Straight up. That's just the first thing that came to mind. There's probably way better meals. I tried to think of a couple better restaurants that serve supplication, but there isn't really any, so I would have to go to Russian River. Well, it's funny. Whenever I think about that question, too, I mean, automatically I'm just thinking, oh, I could have a great osobuco. I could have a this. I could have a that. And then, but invariably, I always come back to just something just simple that takes me back to yeah. a great time in my life and exactly. by college live on the beach I'd go have nachos in a Pacifico or something like that exactly. just like that's why I'm like supplication plenty bites I've shared those so many times with so many good friends in Santa Rosa and, and I moved here 10 years ago so when I was about 25 so I had plenty of years to experience with a Russian river growing up so nice but hey if it takes you to that happy place then life is good exactly uh, so given everything we've talked about everything in your experience um, why does good beer matter? Why does good beer matter? Depends on who you're asking that to or who you're explaining the answer to. But uh, I'm asking you and we're explaining it to my anyone who's okay. listening. <laughs> good beer matters because putting bad ingredients in your body, whether it tastes bad or... Uh, when I say bad, it doesn't necessarily mean the flavor is bad. MSG tastes great. So uh, good beer matters because it's something that we're gonna continually consume. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's gonna deviate. So making high quality beers using high quality agricultural ingredients is important because we're gonna keep consuming it. Mm -hmm. And same reason why good corn matters. You know, why eat organic corn versus GMO corn? Well, if you're gonna eat it for generations on end and we don't know what GMO corn does, mm -hmm. well, you should probably eat the good corn. So I think mm -hmm. the same applies to beer. Good beer matters because we don't know what the long-term effects are to using bad ingredients in something we consume every day. I was actually going to say almost the same thing. Good beer matters because good, just like good anything matters, right? Um, it's important to know where, where our things are coming from, where ingredients are coming from, um, and kind of taking it to the, that foundation of um, good ingredients can make good anything, right? Um, and really focusing on um, when we have good things, when we're, when, when we're producing good things, um, people love it. And um, that brings people together and people have a good time. You know, that's why good beer matters. I amen. Um, if anyone's listening to this and wants to uh, either connect with you guys or learn more about what you're doing, where could they go to find you and learn more? They can go to olabruco.com or olabru.com. Um, we're also on Untapped. <laughs> when you're here in Hawaii, you can find our beers. Um, 
And yeah, we look forward to meeting a lot of you in our tap room. Awesome. And uh, you know, to kind of finish everything off, do you have any last words of wisdom before we get out of here and go have some beer? Um, nah, huh? Words of wisdom? Beer sovereignty. <laughs> I would agree. Beer sovereignty based on a regional level. Yeah. Go drink your local beer. Because <laughs> local good beer matters. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for being a part of this and, and for letting me come into your brewery and showing me around and spending time to... This, this What you guys are doing is just incredible. So I, I appreciate you telling the story. Cool. Thank you very much. Cool. Cheers. Appreciate it. The idea of shopping, eating, and drinking local is a quaint idea that has gotten some firm legs underneath it lately. However, those of us preaching local haven't done a good job explaining why. Ola Brewing is a case study in answering the question of why local matters. Join us in the next episode where we talk to an American expatriate who built a brewery in a different beachside paradise. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters and visit me at goodbeermatters.net. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.